halfway through that reading to get a glass of water when I heard a very convincing serpent. <laughs> that was excellent. Thank you, Rick. Uh, well, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Matt, Matt Straw, one of the assistant ministers here, and uh, we're in a series on the book of Genesis. Well, not the whole thing. There's about 50 chapters, and we'll just do the first couple. This week, we're in chapter three, obviously. Uh, why don't I pray as we dig into God's word? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, speak to us now and speak into our hearts and into our lives. Uh, we thank you uh, that you have spoken, uh, that we can know you and know something about your world and about who we are as well. I just ask, Lord, that, that today you would really speak to each one of us. Amen. Amen. What's, what's the problem with the world? How do you see the problem? What's wrong with the world? It might sound like a very uh, pessimistic view on life to say what's wrong with the world. How do you see the problem? Uh, but I think we've all experienced that. We all know it. When you switched on your radio this morning to hear the, the news on the hour, when you turned on the telly or opened up the weekend paper, uh, I'm sure you saw like I did, you read, you heard. There's, there's a paradox in our world, at least, isn't there? On the one hand, let's talk about life in general. On the one hand, we have life. You and me, we're living, we're here. It's great, isn't it? On the other hand, life can be cut short. On the one hand, we have health. On the other hand, there's illness and decay. What about work? Work has sublime moments of uh, success. Maybe you've experienced some of them. Uh, maybe not. Maybe you will. I'll pray for you that you will. On the other hand, work can be full of splinters, can't it? I remember once I literally had a job uh, moving wood chips. That's all I was doing. Uh, and, uh, but at the end of the day, I had this enormous sense of success as I looked at the garden and the wood chips were all perfectly, well, you know, perfectly, it's probably an overestimate, but they're all well distributed, but I did literally spend the rest of the afternoon pulling splinters out of my fingers. Uh, there's a phenomenon in Japan and in South Korea since the 80s, um, you'll forgive my incorrect pronunciation of the word, uh, Kiroshi, I think is how it's pronounced, something like that. Uh, which is literally translated death from overwork, where people are having heart attacks and strokes due to work-related stress. Uh, it's very common. What about relationships? How is it that the very things that can give us the most joy, meaning and satisfaction in life can also be the same things that cause us the most pain and grief? What is, what's the problem with our world? What's the problem? Uh, I'd love, and I'm sure you'd agree with me, we'd love to be able to separate the problem uh, from, from us, from ourselves. Uh, one Nobel Prize winning writer put it like this, if only it were all so simple, if only, we, uh, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were only necessary to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart. You know the experience. On the one hand, humans are beautiful, aren't they? 
On the one hand, you're amazing. I'm, well, <laughs> I should stick to my notes. On the other hand, Blaise Pascal, the famous French uh, 17th century mathematician, physicist, philosopher, put it like this. What sort of a freak then is man? How novel, how monstrous, how chaotic, how paradoxical. Paradoxical. Judge of all things, feeble earthworm. Repository of truth, sink of doubt and error, glory and refuse of the universe. He continues, man's greatness and wretchedness are so evident that the true religion, he's talking about the Christian faith, must necessarily teach us that there is in, in man some great principle of greatness and some great principle of wretchedness. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Genesis 1 and 2, and we've noted in one another, haven't we, that there is a principle of greatness in each of us. We are like God, but there's also some principle of wretchedness that sometimes we think we are God. So, so what's the problem? What's the problem in our world? Well, this morning, as we look at Genesis chapter 3 together, I want to ask three questions. The first one, where are we? What is this place? Secondly, how did we end up here? And then thirdly, is there a future? Is there hope for us? Firstly, where are we? Well, there are many uh, explanations. I'm sure you've heard them in the coffee shop, down the street, with your friend, with your neighbor. Uh, Perhaps when you're going through a hard time, someone has said to you something like, life's like that. Or maybe you've heard something simpler with words I can't use this morning. I often put these kind of explanations of life into different categories for myself. They're either simple or complex. They're either helpful or unhelpful. Life's just like that, or the simpler version, uh, is simple. It's short, isn't it? But I think it's actually unhelpful as well. It's unhelpful because it's quite vague. And it doesn't give me any hope. Well, if life's like that, I guess I just got to deal with it. Uh, So it's simple and short, but it's not sweet. It's not helpful. Another one that's more complex, but still unhelpful, I think, is the, um, the, uh, where is it? It's in my notes. I'll stick to it. Survival of the fittest. You've heard that idea. It's complex. I haven't read all the books, but I know it's complex. It's a complex idea, the survival of the fittest. Um, But I, I, too, also find that a little bit unhelpful because it means I've got to go to the gym or something like that, I think. (laughs) And I don't enjoy that. Uh, No, it it means that I've got to look within myself. And if I know myself enough, I I think this is a problem I can't get myself out of. I'm not going to be able to change the world or fix the world. I think Genesis chapter 3 is simple to some extent uh, and also helpful. It's simple, not not merely just because it has nice picture language of a a snake, of a tree, of uh, some naked people. Um, I think it's it's simple because it gets to the heart of the matter. Maybe you'll see that today as well. It gets to the heart of the matter. Uh, But also, I think it's helpful because it, A, it says there is a problem. I like an explanation that says, actually goes... 
Let's admit there's a problem here. Secondly, it says let's identify the issue, and then it comes up with a plan to fix it. So let's have a look at Genesis chapter 3 and what it says about where we are. Remember, that's the first question I wanted to explore. Where are we? Genesis chapter 3 says that the world is disconnected from God. That's where we are. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 23. It says, So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden. Where's our world? Our world is disconnected from God. Uh, You might remember from the last couple of weeks as we looked at Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, we learned that the world was a place that God created to be a home for him and his people. Eden was the epitome of that. It was the forever home, the original forever home that God had set up where everything was perfect. You remember last week we saw that God took humans seriously. He loved them. He valued them. Humans took God seriously. And humans took one another seriously. But at the end of Genesis 3, the world is disconnected from God. And that's why there's paradoxes in our world. That's why there's a problem in our world. Because we've, we've disconnected ourselves from God. I think that's quite a helpful and quite an easy way to understand where our world is. If you understand who God is from a biblical point of view. Uh, Quite simply, the Bible so far, what we've read together, the Bible has said that God is life and that God is good. That's what it said. Remember the first four words of your Bible? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God creates everything. Everything flows from him. He is life. But at the end of chapter 1, we came to a place where what the Bible was saying about the world that God had made was that it was good. And the world was good because God is good. What I want you to know about God, what the Bible wants you to know about God, is God is life and God is good. What happens if you disconnect yourself from life and the good? You have death and bad. You have death and evil, don't you? That's where our world is. It's disconnected from God. That's the picture given to us at the end of Genesis 3. That's where we are. We're disconnected. How did we get there? Second question, point two this morning. How did we get there? I think there's two things that we notice in this story. The first one is is disobedience. That humans are disobedient to God. We'll we'll come to the serpent, the snake, in a moment. Uh, But first, let's look at ourselves. Is that all right? This can be highly offensive. I get it. And um, this, I love reading something that challenges how I often feel about myself. This is helpful. Genesis chapter 3 says the biggest cause, the biggest part of the problem is Adam and Eve. I think that's really helpful to hear. Somebody, it sounds trite, I know, but before we point the finger at other things in the world, somebody said to me, before you point a finger, always be aware that there's three fingers pointing back at you. You seen that? It's quite trite, but I think that's, it's helpful. The key theme, the key fact, the key event happening in Genesis 3 is the rebellion of humans against God. And we know this because God tells them in Genesis chapter 2 not to eat of a particular tree, And what do they do? They eat of the particular tree. 
I don't know whether you picked it up, but uh, this week in the news uh, on the ABC, it was on Breakfast TV, it was also uh, on a website, there was an article titled, Weak Parents Are Raising a Generation of Entitled Brat Boys. Did you hear this? Weak parenting of boys is creating a generation of entitled brats who think they are, they are owed the world and can lash out in violence when they do not get their way, adolescent psychologist Michael Cargreg has said. Mr. Cargreg has worked with families for three decades and said he was seeing an unmistakable increase in disrespectful and contemptuous boys who had a false belief that they were flawless. He said it stemmed from boys being raised to see the world as one giant personalised, all singing, all dancing, 24-7 catering service exclusively for them. Mr. Cargreg has dubbed this Prince Boofhead Syndrome. A child-centred parenting movement where parents actually accede to the, the requests of these kids. Did you hear those terms? Entitled? Owed the world? Boys who had a, a, a belief that they were flawless? Child-centred. Now, the article, of course, focuses on weak parenting. Uh, but what I, want to see here, what I want us to see here instead is just the potential that we have as humans to invert reality. That's what's happening here. The article's saying that we've got things upside down. And it's not just a matter of confused boys. It's a, mat it's a heart issue that they think they know better than their parents. In Genesis 3, uh, we have the, have the same thing, if I may. It's a microcosm of humanity with God, the parent-child relationship being inversed, where God, the ultimate parent, who by definition should be obeyed, and by definition, he's the perfect parent. Remember, he is life, he is good, he knows what's best for the kids. And what are Adam and Eve doing? They're saying, I know better than God. The one thing that Adam and Eve Adam and Eve lacked nothing in the garden, except for one thing, uh, that they were not God. But what they do? In choosing not to listen to God, to disobey Him, they're saying they're above God. And now this is why sin is, is more than a mere mistake. It's a relational issue, isn't it? It's saying... We deserve one up on God. We have a desire to be better than Him and to know more than Him. It's a deliberate rejection of our Maker and our Judge. It's putting ourselves at the beginning of the universe. In the beginning, how do we apply this to our lives? I wanted to say this, I wanted to say this because I wanted to say, uh, where in your life do you have a Prince Boofhead syndrome? <laughs> uh, where do you feel entitled in your life? Where do you think you're owed the world? Do you ever think you're flawless? Is the world centred around you? Now the truth is, we're in a room... <laughs> including myself, of people who have done that with God, haven't we? Prince Boofheads. <laughs> You're also lovely people. You look great this morning. 
There's another problem in Genesis 3, not just disobedience, but also deception. Let's get to the snake. Thank you, Rick. I'll never forget that. Let's get to the snake. Uh, the, The point, I think, being made here by the serpent is that not everything in the world is good and not everything is good even if it seems good. It's a long way of saying something much simpler, I'm sure, but I couldn't work out how to say it. Uh, we live in a world... This is, this is a very hard thing for us to understand, I think, because we live in a world where nobody's allowed to judge another. And, and there's no such thing as objectivity anymore. In fact, the subjective is king. What I say is right. What I say is good. You know the expressions, each to their own. If, if it feels good, do it. Whatever makes you happy. Just think about yourself. You must come first. That's the world we live in. The Bible wants us to recognize, on the contrary, that the world where which we're born into, not everything is good, even if it seems good. Not everything is right, even if it seems right. Genesis 3.1, that's where it starts. Now, there was a serpent, and it says he was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Notice how crafty he is, all right? Watch this. Did God really say? I mean, is there anything wrong about um, the serpent striking up a conversation with a woman? Maybe. Um, But did God really say? He is just suggesting. He's just suggesting. He's smuggling in the idea into Eve's world that perhaps God's word isn't the final authority on things. This is smuggling in the idea. Did God really say? It's pretty crafty. The second thing, notice he goes on, uh, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The, The serpent here is smuggling in the idea that God is not good. Eve kind of corrects him here, but... Any tree? God's not a spoiled sport, is he? The third lie that uh, the serpent's smuggling in is in the next sentence. Read with me. Uh, The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The third idea that the serpent is smuggling into Eve's world is that God is holding something back from Eve. He's saying, no, no, you're missing it. If you do this, you'll be like God. What's the irony of all of what the serpent's saying? irony is, is that he's stealing from Eve everything she already was. Eve was already like God. We've talked about this for two weeks. Eve's made in the image of God. She is like God. She lacks no good thing. She has everything. And she's meant to rule over created things, not be ruled over by a creature. I was thinking about this smuggling in concept 
And I am glad, and I'm sure you are, that we live in a world where there are security checks. I know it's added two more hours to your airport check-in time, um, but doesn't it make the, the ride all the more uh, safe, not to mention happy? I think um, we need security checks on our hearts and minds and what's being smuggled in there to make sure there's no anti-God material uh, because ultimately it's anti-happiness material. C.S. Lewis uh, writes about this. He says, What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Did you catch that? God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Uh, Eve was deceived into thinking that uh, she was God and that, she could, that God was holding back from her and that she could find happiness in something other than God. So where are we? We're in a world that's disconnected from God. Secondly, how did we end up here? We ended up here being, through being disobedient and through deceiving, uh, be, being deceived. Is there a future? Is there a hope? The third thing this morning, is there a hope? Is there a future? Well, the, the short answer is yes. And the rest of our Bible is all about it, isn't it? But even here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, have a look with me. There is the, the promise of this hope. It says, And I will put, God saying to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is not about snakes and humans uh, not enjoying one another's company. This is about a descendant of Eve overcoming what the snake represents, which is evil. Isn't it striking that right here, in the middle of God cursing the snake, his judgment includes a clue of our future hope. Notice how God will rescue humanity from their problem. Notice the serpent's head is crushed. That means once and for all, right? You can't recover from a crushed head. But notice also the snake bites his heel. The victor suffers. This third chapter, right at the beginning of the Bible, is telling us about the end already. Who is this snake crusher? Well, it's not you or me, is it? Each of us are disobedient and deceived. This is about one who wasn't. Although tempted like Eve, he is not deceived. He's not disobedient like Adam. In fact, he is obedient even till death. But death was not the end for him. Let me read to you from the New Testament toward the end of the story or the beginning of the end. 1 Corinthians 15. For since death came through a man, 
the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. For he has put everything under his feet. So what's the story so far in Genesis? Let me recap for you. God made the world as a home for him to be with us. In that world, in that original forever home, God took us seriously. We took him seriously and we took one another seriously. But the world has been tragically and we have been tragically disconnected from from God and from one another by deception and by disobedience. But the beginning of the end of the story is that God is reconnecting us and the world back to him through his son, Jesus, to give us a hope and a future. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, and judge of all men, uh, we know we are part of the problem. And we daily experience a world that is disconnected from you. But Lord, uh, many of us in this room know that there is hope for our world because you've reconnected us to you through your son who has crushed the serpent's head Father, um, hold us in this hope. Keep us strong in this hope. Even while we experience the problem and the paradox of this world. And we ask this this week through Jesus Christ. Amen.